You're listening to Confronting Christianity, a podcast of Training the Church. Because the great enemy that we face is not just like death, it's the meaningless that death creates. If all that we have is dust, and why does any of this matter? But if the resurrection is true and we continue beyond death, then it infuses the entirety of our lives with meaning. When you become a Christian, you don't find hope. You're kind of assaulted by hope. Hope comes and gets you and takes you to a better place. Because Judas then isn't just this arch betrayer, which is how he's remembered to history. He's all of us who have seen something beautiful and tried to destroy it. This is Rebecca McLaughlin, and I'm joined by my co-host Kyle Worley. And today we are also joined by one of my heroes, uh, Dr. Esau McCauley. Uh, Dr. McCauley is an Associate Professor of New Testament at Wheaton College and a theologian in residence at Progressive Baptist Church, a historically black congregation in Chicago. He is the author of the award-winning book, which I love, uh, Reading While Black, um, and his children's book, Josie Johnson's Hair and the Holy Spirit, is also just a, a fantastic read, which I think, Kyle, your daughter in particular, has appreciated. So oh, might, yeah. I might have a moment. She's going to be very excited that I met to, the author today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even more impressively than writing that fantastic book, um, Issa is also a contributing opinion writer of the New York Times, no less. And his writings have appeared in The Atlantic, The Washington Post, Christianity Today, and a, a host of other venues. We're super um, honoured to have you for a few minutes today, um, Issa, and especially excited to talk with you about some of the things that are most central to to all of our beliefs and understanding of the world um, as we look forward to Easter. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so Easter, Easter is coming up, but um, Esau, before we kind of launch into that, I know you've um, got a recent book out on Lent, yeah. um, subtitled The Season of Repentance and Renewal. Yes, Give us like the 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 skinny mm-hmm. on that. Well, I, I think that a lot of people are uh, afraid of the season of Lent because it mm. feels like, oh, you know, it's the time we feel horrible for all of your sins. And what I was trying to do is, is help people understand kind of the realism in Lent, that it's actually a grace, that there's mm. a part in the church year where we just presume that people have failed. Right? In other words, we assume that every year at a certain point in time, that, that that someone has lost their zeal, they've lost their way. And we say, it's okay that you can begin again. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to show that Lent was an opportunity to kind of refresh ourselves spiritually mm-hmm. um, in preparation for Easter, the celebration of the resurrection. And so that's really what it was about, is to help people understand the church's pragmatism and understanding that the, the spiritual life is complicated. It's mm-hmm. not just a, a, a kind of increasing holiness until we go to be with Jesus, but mm-hmm. it's more twists and turns and ups and downs. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. You know, I I came to Lent later, like a like a, a good little Protestant. I uh, I didn't get a good little <laughs> Southern Baptist. Frankly, I didn't get to Lent till uh, maybe seven years ago. And I remember stepping into the first season of Lent, in which I, I, my wife and I were trying to kind of just kind of prayerfully enter in as a season of repentance and renewal. And I remember it felt like a uh, an invitation into something that was really fruitful, but that kind of scared me a little bit. Mm. Kyle, quick, quick question though. Sorry, I don't want to get too personal. Sure. How old are you, Kyle? I'm 34. I'll be 35 in May. Okay, just, if you don't get at least 30 lints in, you don't get to go to heaven. It's like a rule. <laughs> I didn't make it. 
But if you're 34, you should you should get your 30 in. I got to get my numbers up. I got to get yeah, my I'm numbers saying, up. It's like, like I, mean, I didn't know how old you were. I didn't want I didn't want to give you the bad news. No, I'm at least no. 30. I appreciate. You know, you, I guess Lynn's like getting your social security quarters yeah, in, like right? You gotta put in a certain amount, or you can't. You know, you okay. can't. You can't make. That's it good. Time. Well, I'm working. I'm working yeah. that number up right now. You got seven in. You got twenty three more. I think. I think you're gonna be okay. Okay. I, I was raised high church Anglican, Esau, so I'm. I'm pretty solid, actually. Yeah, you're point. good. Like me. Like you know, I'm. I'm about. I'm like twenty years in. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, pre- I'm. I'm. I'm planning on taking a big. You know, retirement after it. You know, after it's done. Look, uh, in in all truth, what would you tell? Like. like I, I would imagine we have an audience. Uh, actually, I, I know that we do because I can think of people that I know that listen to this show. But we have an audience for whom, like Lent, probably still feels fairly inconsequential, murky, maybe even maybe even a little like uh, yeah. uh, legalistic. What would you tell somebody as just like a, the front door to Lent? If you were greeting them at the front door of Lent, what would you say? Like, hey, welcome. Here's something that I think you should consider. Kyle, you personally know every listener to the podcast? No, I'm just saying I know that <laughs> I can refer to them by name if that'll help you. <laughs> yeah, talk, yeah, talk to Monica real quick. Okay, she Monica, sent me some emails okay. about Lynn. <laughs> what I would say is um, what I would actually help them understand, because I think there's a certain type of spirituality that thinks that repetition is inherently bad and that structure stifles the Holy Spirit. And what I would actually begin with is, is thinking about how God forms people. And apart from how the law functions in the lives of the Christians, I just say that when God wanted to form a people, and he said, you know what? I got a bunch of people who are just rescued out of Egypt. I need to help them learn how to be the people of God. Mm. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them a bunch of rituals and say, do this over and over and over and over again, tied to the certain times of the year and the certain events in salvation history. So, like, methodologically, yeah. God seemed to form his people through um, liturgy. And all of the people who went to all of those liturgical activities wrote the Psalms, mm-hmm. which are deeply passionate, evocative experiences of God. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. seems like if you read the Psalms, these people have a personal, intimate, passionate relationship with God whom they love deeply. Yeah. And they experience structured and liturgical worship. As did Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. Jesus was, and so I think that we have this idea that ritual stifles the spirit, mm. and that would seem to suggest that like God made a mistake in ordering His people that way. Then it doesn't mean that you have to um, have liturgy to be a good Christian or have seasons to be a good Christian. I just want to say that the Bible doesn't suggest that that ritual and liturgies are in mm. of, in and of themselves bad. That, that God, I mean, it's funny because Paul Paul says, you know, to the church in Corinth, I handed on to you what I also received. Mm-hmm. On the night before he died, he took bread. He said, actually, when I became a Christian, they taught me the liturgy, the words to say. Mm-hmm. And now I went to Corinth. And, I, and, and the amazing thing about the Corinthians passage is that Paul presumes that he can just cite the liturgy and people will know yeah. it. Right, right. That's a good point. So it suggests yeah. that wherever he went, he taught them liturgical activities, and we only know about it in Corinth because there was a controversy. And so mm-hmm. I think the first thing we would have to do is to help Christians get over their Protestant Christians, their fear of anything that they think is related to Catholicism. Yeah. And instead to consider like the liturgical year as the heritage of Christianity, broadly speaking, mm-hmm. including Easter. 
Mm. Right. Mm. <laughs> Easter is a part of the liturgical calendar. And so everybody has a calendar. It's just whether or not you, um, which part you include and which part you exclude. Yeah, well, and honestly, as well, everybody has a liturgy. I've yeah, been going right. to a Southern Baptist church, albeit as an sort of whatever Anglican I am, for the last fifteen years. And and there's a we do the same. We have the same pattern every week. We just yes. don't kind of quite call it that. Yes, I, I always say to people, if someone just gave the announcements in the middle of your pastor's sermon, you probably <laughs> right. say no, it doesn't go there. It That's goes there. The, it goes at yeah. the end, right? Yeah. Or I yeah. even say that there's a rhythm to worship sets. You know, the mm-hmm. first set, the first song usually does this, the second song does that, and then the third emotional song at the end. And so everybody has <laughs> like their own like liturgical journey they send people on. Mm-hmm. The question is which one you're going to adopt and, mm-hmm. and why we adopted the one that we did. Mm-hmm. And so I agree with you, Rebecca. That's good. We and agree. We're on teams. We agree. Yeah. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle, you don't really get an opinion until you're at least 15 lengths in. Okay. So All right. Okay. Well, I, I'm not 15 lengths in, but I am certainly more than 15 Easters in. Okay. That's good. That's so, good. And, and I'm going to segue us now, like the pro that I am, is Easter <laughs> Sunday. So it's a part of the liturgical calendar, liturgical year, but it's just another Sunday, right? Dr. McCauley, yeah. like Easter is yeah, just, yeah. It, it's just another opportunity to celebrate the risen Lord. Like what's What's significant or special about Easter? Isn't it just another one of the many Sundays in which the church gets together and worships? I mean, I think that there is a distinction between, I think, I think that I I try to be a reasonably good husband, you know, every day, at least every week, and that I periodically take my wife out on dates when we can get childcare for the kids. Mm -hmm. And I can't, half of the days I wake up, I can't believe that this woman has decided to marry me. So on one level, you can say I'm grateful for my marriage and I remember it like um, regularly. Mm. But I'm pretty sure that if our anniversary came by and I said, beloved, (laughs) I celebrate you all of the time. Let's forget about our anniversary. Then my wife is going to have kind of an issue with that Mm. because the, the small celebrations do not, undo big celebrations. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, those small celebrations are kind of the echoes of this big celebration that we have. And the church has set aside Easter Sunday to celebrate the transformation of the cosmos with the resurrection of Jesus. You know, the, 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 the greatest story ever told all of the things that you could say around it. And so I think that they're not in competition. I remember when I first became a pastor, when I first was getting ready to preach my sermon, my first sermon, in the Baptist tradition, you just, at least the black Baptist tradition in Alabama, you were ordained via congregational vote. And my pastor said to me before I preached, this is the only advice I got, Kyle. You're about to preach um, and make sure you mention in the sermon the birth, death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. Mm. You get everything else wrong, get that right. Mm. I've never forgotten Amen. that. I've included that in almost every sermon since. And so in that sense, I'm always celebrating the resurrection. Right, right. But it doesn't mean that that's in competition with the celebration of the resurrection on Easter. That's, mm. yeah, and the, the analogy of, uh, of an anniversary is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut him because I'm an uh, apologetics girl. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I think one question that people have about Easter, like even aside from like, is it plausible that a man rose from the dead, is, is you know, what difference does it really make? Yeah. Like if Jesus' resurrection was, you know, really a physical resurrection or, or maybe it was just like, well, his disciples felt like a 
a, a renewed sense of his presence with them doesn't didn't have to be like a physical resurrection. Um, you just talked a minute ago about the resurrection being the the, the rebirth of the cosmos. I, I think I've misquoted you slightly there. Tell yeah. me what, what exactly you said. Well, I mean, the resurrection of Jesus implies not just the the, the eternal life. Well, so I, I want to answer your question first before I go on. I think that the the resurrection is this dramatic event that runs backwards through Jesus's story. Hmm. In other words, Jesus made certain claims about who he was, and not just about who he was, about what it meant to be to be human. Mm-hmm. In other words, Jesus was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am teaching you not just like a means of salvation, but it means to mean what it means to be to live a truly good and human life. And so if at the end of that life, the things that he said about himself were untrue, that he wasn't the Messiah, that he wasn't raised on the third day, then it runs backwards through the things that he taught to, in some sense, invalidate them. Mm, mm. But if what he says is true, if the resurrection vindicates the other things about himself, then it, 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 it causes, the, it gives the entirety of his life meaning. Mm. He's shown us the way to the Father. And so the physical resurrection of Jesus as a vindication of who he was. One of the things that I say to my students is we tend to focus on history and not interpretation. Mm. In other words, to be a Christian doesn't simply mean to believe that historical facts happen. Jesus rose from the dead. But what it actually means to be a Christian is I trust Jesus' interpretation of his resurrection and in his life. So even if I were to prove that Jesus rose from the dead, it doesn't necessarily follow from that everything that Jesus said about himself was true. That's why I have to actually trust him. So for me to be a Christian means that I trust both the resurrection of the dead and Jesus' interpretation of that resurrection. Mm -hmm. So I'm a Christian because I believe that the life that Jesus lived was vindicated by the resurrection of his body. And therefore, he shows me what it means to be human and he shows me way to the Father. I don't I don't under, I don't think that someone who is mistaken about something as central as his own resurrection through some spiritual presence with his disciples um, is sufficient to compel my allegiance. Because the great enemy that we face is not just like death, it's the meaningless that death creates. Hmm. If all that we have is dust, then why does any of this matter? But if the resurrection is true and we continue beyond death, then it infuses the entirety of our lives with meaning. And so I think that the bodily resurrection of Jesus is important. I can say more about the bodily resurrection if you want me to, but I'll stop to give you a chance to <laughs> slow me down. Because i got some stuff to say about the resurrection of the I body because it really matters. Yeah, um, um, and it does. Well, I do. And I want to come back to that. Um, so don't let us lose it. I do want to just tell the audience Whatever you're doing now, this is one of those times in episode where it'd be really great to rewind for about a minute and a half and listen to all of that over again, because it was very rich and very dense and you need to sit with it a little while longer. So don't let the podcast medium move you too quickly onto the next thing. Oh, did I go full nerd? Did I go too far? No, 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 no. You, no, I, I was being pastored by it. Okay. It didn't feel like a nerd at so, all. So, so let, let me talk about the resurrection of the body. Do it. Because I wrote an article last year. It stirred some controversy, interestingly enough. I don't know what the, I forget what the original, what the version of it um, was called in the New York Times. But the, when I wrote it, I was calling it the resurrection of black bodies. And the mm-hmm. reason I wrote it that way is because I was actually thinking about what Rebecca spoke about, spiritual resurrections. Mm-hmm. And what I was reflecting upon is what actually happened in America. 
which is that a lot of African-Americans during the slave trade and during Jim Crow were lynched and killed. Mm. And so the last thing that happened to those African-American bodies where they were burned and dismembered. Mm. And so if there is only a spiritual resurrection, right, that that somehow our souls continue after death, then the, the enemies of the people of God got the final say over the body. It's mm. too small a victory for God. If human beings were abused in the body, then the body is the arena of God's glory. And so the resurrection of the body, especially African-American bodies, but it wasn't just African-American bodies, but I was speaking in particular of African-American bodies as African-American, is God's way of rejecting the world's statement about the body. In other words, people said that African-American bodies could be burned and destroyed and dismembered. And God says, no, 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 that body belongs to me. And it's going to exist forever so that our ethnicities exist intact forever as a statement about how God values different people. Mm-hmm. And so what I was trying to get at is the, the spiritual resurrection idea doesn't take seriously the, the body as the arena of suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just African-Americans who were like people who were sick, people who were ill, people who were murdered in any context. Those bodies suffered. And if the world is filled with the glory of God and God's power exists over the cosmos, what if God says, I want my victory to be complete, Mm. even over the destruction of the body? And so the the spiritual resurrection to me is an insufficient um, response to the problem of evil. Yeah, and yeah, so amen. I am a big proponent. And it, the, the part that was funny, Rebecca, is that the, the, the whole point of that article was the particular importance of bodies vis-a-vis the resurrection mm. and how the resurrection of Jesus's body, as the world made one statement about it, it was worthy of crucifixion, mutilation, and death. That was what the world said about Jesus's body. It's what the empire said. But God, when he raised Jesus from the dead, overrode that decision. Mm. And in the same way, God overrules all the decisions that, that humans make about bodies for those who believe in him. I love that, Issa. And, and the reality, going back to your previous point about um, how Jesus not only brings us to the Father, but also shows us what it even means to be human. And, and and I think there's been so much misunderstanding even among Christians about what the Christian hope is, that it's yeah. not just sort of floating off to live disembodied, um, you know, eternities as as souls, but actually resurrection bodies, because we're, we're, we're meant to be like this, except, um, you know, in, in such a better way, but that we're, we're meant to be yeah. with I, our bodies. I talk to my students about this all of the time, is that we actually are incapable of imagining a disembodied existence. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that, when people think of not having a body, they actually just think about having an invisible body. In other words, Mm -hmm. they think of themselves almost in ghost form. Yeah. Right. And so they still, even without a body, think of human beings bodily. And they even, and I say to them, well, how do you talk if you don't have vocal cords? And so in other words, even as they imagine this spiritual reality, they kind of partially make it tangible. Now, Mm -hmm. it's not my job to explain how the intermediate state between death and resurrection occurs and how God keeps us, you know, in his presence while he raised them. I'm going to put that to the side. But what what I will say is that we can't imagine any form of life without a body. So even something as simple as when you see someone, you smile at them. Mm. 
Mm. When and you say hello, or you give your friend a hug, or you you can't imagine kind of life in human community without the physical interaction with other people and in creation. And so the, to, to say that there is the resurrection of the body doesn't mean that the life with God on the other side of death is exactly the same as it was beforehand. But it is to say that there's something about what we experience now in community, mm-hmm. when that community is loving and healthy, that is a picture of the resurrection. Yeah. A picture with life with God. And we actually can't imagine what it means to cease. Like, you know, one of the hard things that people remember the pandemic is that you couldn't touch anybody. Yeah, it killed me. You remember like how you'd be like, a, you didn't even think about how much you touched just just random people. You, you mm-hmm. know, he's like, oh, I don't know what it's like to spend the entirety of my life six feet from someone. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time we had some friends over um, when during the bubble era. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. And we, we we ordered pizzas. And we had one set of pizzas on one side of the backyard and another side of pizza on the other side of the backyard. And we came in one way and they came in the other. Remember this, how ridiculous all of this was? And our kids, <laughs> our kids had to sit on both sides of the yard, our kids and their kids. And they kept trying to move the seats a little bit closer together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, or, or they would, um, they were, they were tossing the football back and forth across the, you know, the six feet or whatever chasm. And there was something about that. They just want to touch each other. That was like, yeah, I just want to yeah. have physical contact with people. That is, yeah. And so when I talk about the resurrection, then it means that human friendship and human love of any form that seems to require some kind of bodily in- engagement exist. Mm, mm. And and that we will have that kind of experience in the new creation. Mm, yeah. No, praise God. Yeah. Um, so if that's if if that and it is is a comfort. Yeah. I'm thinking of this line. And I'm about to I'm about to quote you back to you. Okay. okay? And so just <laughs> buckle up because I know authors don't love this. You write so much. <laughs> you're like, what am, what am I about to hear? Do I still yeah. believe it? But okay. So a number of years ago, you wrote this article in the New York Times. Uh, you talk about the unsettling power of Easter. And you said this, Easter is a frightening prospect. For the women, the only thing more terrifying than mm. a world with Jesus dead was one in which he was alive. Now, I got to tell you, I read a lot. And when when I was prepping for this interview, I didn't, I didn't even, like, it was not even, I was like, I got to ask him about this line. That line... <laughs> about the resurrection has stuck out to me in a way that almost nothing else I've ever read on the topic mm-hmm. has stuck out to me yeah. because I think it is absolutely true. But when you hear it the first time, you're like, that, that sounds dangerous. Like what is, what's going on there? And then you let it sit with you for a little while. So what do you, I want to, I just want to ask you selfishly, I'm, I'm being selfish right yeah. now on this podcast. We're talking about Easter yeah. and I thought I, I'm, I don't get a lot of time with Dr. McCauley. I got to ask him for the women. The only thing more terrifying than a world in which Jesus was dead was one in which he was alive. Yeah. Why? Well, first of all, it's an interpretation of Mark chapter 16. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so the first thing is, this was my attempt to exposit scripture mm-hmm. because we won't get into the various endings of Mark. But in Mark 16, it ends, they said nothing for they mm-hmm. were terrified. Yep. And so I talked to my students about like why Easter is terrifying to people. Mm-hmm. And what I say is like, 
my students say, like, people say, I wish God would just tell me what he wanted me to do. It's like, you don't want that. Nobody actually wants God to physically manifest themselves and tell you what to do. That's mm-hmm. terrifying. Mm-hmm. Because even as we as Christians, when we try to follow God, we kind of like our distance from God, mm-hmm. which means is if we want to sin, we kind of just can, like, stop praying, kind of, like, stop going to church. And we, we kind of pretend that, like, once we disengage with God— God disengages with us. Mm-hmm. And then when we kind of want to go back to God, we just kind of make our way. So we, we kind of like to have this perception of space. Yeah. yeah. The terrifying, so we know that it's real, but we don't really like grab a hold to the, the terrifying reality of the creative universe. It's actually in our midst. And there is no example in which someone encounters the living God and understands who he is in which they're not undone. It's, all, it's, right. it's, it's clear throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Whenever you finally understand you're in the presence of God, it goes, oh, no. And so what, with the exercise to the women, they did not go to the tomb to see a resurrection. Hmm. They went to the tomb to honor a dead person. Mm-hmm. And as hard and difficult as disappointment is, we know what to do with it. Hmm. We know what to do with failure. We're, we're mm-hmm. accustomed to it. No to do with disappointment. And so there is a certain reliability. They don't know how they're going to go on because they've, they've lost their leader, their teacher. So there's a devastation there. But they kind of know what to do with it. We know what to do with um, people dying. Now, if Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, mm-hmm. everything that they knew about reality had to shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's frightening. Yeah. What I say to people, and I don't think we remember this because we've been Christian for too long. But if you can think back, Kyle or Rebecca, do you remember when you were sitting, or maybe you had a friend, this is the case. You're sitting in the congregation. You're not a Christian. And you hear the gospel being preached. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there's this emotional experience. You go, wait, hold on. This might be true. Mm-hmm. And the better the sermon gets, the more nervous you get because you feel yourself drawn to this God. But yep. that draw is terrifying. Yeah. That's no exactly one, right. like people don't normally rush to the altar. Most pastors have to give, even people who want to believe it, no, you can come, you can come. Do you know why? Because they know that if this thing is true mm-hmm. about Jesus, everything has to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a terrifying prospect, right? I remember, um, I had a friend, and and I'll, I'll make a very long story short. He he, we had this long, long like conversation about apologetics. I'm asking all of these questions about the resurrection, all of these kinds of theological conundrums. And then we get to the end. It's like two or three o'clock. Rebecca, don't be mad at me. I know you said you're an apologetics woman, but I'm not. I'm not a good apologist. <laughs> I'm in college, and I'm like, hey, you know what? I need to go to bed. I got a test in the morning. If you're going to be a Christian or not. Like, I don't got all day for, for this. You're going to be on Team Jesus or not. I love and this person was like, well, if I'm going to become a Christian, then A, B, and C has to change. And all three of those things were not the apologetics issues that we've been dealing with. Mm. They were issues in their personal lives. Yeah. And so they knew. And I got I said, man, if that was the question, we could have saved three hours of our time. You just didn't want to change. Get out. I kicked them out of, I kicked them out of, my, I kicked them out of my, my room. Now, this person becomes a Christian later. So don't worry about that part. It was all well. But, what, but the point of it is they rightly intuited that Christianity makes demands upon them yeah. about reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to face that 
is to face a crisis. Yeah. And so these women faced a crisis when the resurrection occurred. And so their first experience is not joy. Yep. Mm. It's fear. And all of us have that, that, that example because, like, we're afraid because we don't know what the future of life with God is. We don't have no idea how good it's going to be. Once we get over there, we got to go, man, what was I so afraid of? Yep. But that, so what I wanted to do and capture in that sentence is to talk about that reality. The, the only thing more terrifying than Jesus who, who died was the Christ who was risen. Now, the good mm-hmm. news about this story, because people often ask about the, the, the gospel of Mark ends mm-hmm. with the women running away terrified. But I always say to people, the gospel of Mark exists. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right, 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 right. We know that they didn't say anything at first means they overcame that. And eventually began to tell the story. Yeah. And what, what I think Mark is trying to say is, before you run and tell people about Jesus, which is what you eventually have to do, you need to face the earth-shattering, world-changing reality of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And let that get inside of you. Mm-hmm. And it's only when you've allowed the resurrection to terrify you mm-hmm. that you fully understood its scope and its meaning that you can then go and share that with people. Yeah. The God's great victory. And so I think that's what I was I was trying to get at that idea that when you become a Christian, you don't find hope. You're kind of assaulted by hope. Mm-hmm. Hope comes mm-hmm. and gets you and, and and takes you to a better place. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like Thomas's response going yeah. from no way, no way to my Lord and my God. Yeah. Like there's no if if he if he raised from the dead, he's the Lord, and that's terrifying. Yeah, like, like, why wouldn't Thomas want to believe? Because Thomas, Thomas had already suffered disappointment. Yeah. Mm. So he, like, Thomas, Thomas. I mean, I love Thomas. He doesn't get enough love. <laughs> Thomas has the most rioted eye in the Bible. It's <laughs> like, man, do you not know they're trying to kill you in Jerusalem, man? He said, okay, let's go, let's ride and go with them. That's the kind of friend I want. Who says, Esau, this is going to get you killed, but I'm going to be with you. (laughs) Yeah. So then he goes there and his savior, like the person, in other words, sorry, I want to talk about Thomas and I'll stop. But Thomas experiences the entire emotional journey of the gospel. Mm. He first has this hope that Jesus might be the Messiah. He sees the initial successful wave of ministry. He goes, this is the guy. But it's clear that Thomas recognizes somewhere in the middle of the story this isn't going to end how he thought it was going to end at the beginning. Mm, mm. They're going to kill you. Yeah. But he's willing to kind of follow that journey over to the end. And it happens. The person who had hoped in died. So when someone says to you, hope again, we mock Thomas. But it's hard to hope. It's hard to hope again after your faith has been destroyed. Mm. Like, and this is not someone, you know, you believe in Christianity, a church leader or a pastor or someone deeply dis- disappoints you or betrays you. And there's a real feeling of, 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 of just utter devastation. And it's really hard after that yeah. to get that person to believe again. And so Thomas is protecting himself emotionally at that point. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But God in his compassion comes to him. And, and, and once again, like, pulls him into this place of belief. And so that idea that Thomas was afraid to hope is because Thomas was afraid that, that if I hope again, what if I'm going to be disappointed again? Mm-hmm. And, the, and the resurrection of Jesus, at least in the case of Thomas, 
is to say there's hope on the other side of deep disappointment. That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah, if that's what you were trying to say, you said it. Okay. Uh, you said it in the article, and then you just doubled down on it right there. Uh, you nailed it. You don't need to second-guess yourself there at all. Uh, it was clear, and it's clearer now. That was, can I say, um, those two, the two Easter articles, and the deeply unsettling power of Easter, maybe my one of the favorite things I've ever written. So, like, that's mm, one of my favorite mm. articles. And so yeah, thank well, you for mentioning it. Well, then, brother, I kind of want to let you go so you can write another one. I know, right? I really, really want you to write this New York Times one. I, I, I will talk to you. It's okay, Rebecca. I'll be well. <laughs> if I, I, I want to see that article, Lisa, okay? you got to okay, promise I, me. I, I can't promise <laughs> I'm going to get it. That's the reason. <laughs> I, think, I think you're absolutely right that there is a comfort level um, that it's easy for us to contrive with Easter, um, that the mark passage confronts there's a a a a level of respectability with which we treat the resurrection a level of uh, commonality of ordinariness that it's easy and i think for the christian can become increasingly easy Mm. as we walk with the lord a kind of uh, it becomes a placid proposition and then easter is just a sunday to just celebrate that this kind of very safe comfort, but there is something that is immediately disruptive about the witness of Christ. And that in our earliest, sometimes even unremembered experiences of the presence of God, we do find it immediately unsettling in that it cracks the universe open in a way in which we are neither prepared for, um, nor, prepared to accept quickly because of the impact of sin on us and because of the temptations of the world. And so I, I do think I just, I have to pause and, I, and I'm less commending the point you're making, Dr. McCauley. I've done that already uh, and it's excellence and more just stating, I think it's pretty crucial in my own journey with the Lord that I'd be reminded of that regularly. And I think it is a good reminder for those who are new to the witness of Christ or mm. have grown comfortable with the witness of Christ. So that's it. More just a personal reflection. I mean, I don't think, and and whenever I talk about we, it's not just a rhetorical trick. It's like my own life mm. is the risk that, 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 that we are doing as Christians because we're placing all of our hope on this person mm. and that this person shows us the way to life. I remember I'm teaching the Gospel of John this semester, and I'm thinking about this uh, passage in, in John chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about eating his flesh, drinking his blood, and people are like, you know what? Mm. I like the first five chapters, but Jesus, <laughs> this chapter here, I'm good, so we're going to leave. And you would think that Jesus would go, hey, hey guys, I was just kidding. Like, mm. come on back. I, let me, let me, I've I talked to some market analysis, and, and that take didn't go viral. Let me give you another, another mm. way of doing it. But Jesus is like to the disciples, are you going to leave too? And they say, Peter, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Mm. Peter's like, I have, I've risked everything for you. And I think that being a Christian is to say, I'm willing to not just stake my eternal future in some sense on the resurrection, but my life now. Mm. And what I've been trying to, if there's one message that I've been trying to communicate consistently that I think that 
hopefully it's from God, it's the resurrection is not just an ends, it's a means, right? That that God doesn't just say that because Christ was raised from the dead, we get to have life with God. That's part of it. But if what Christ has showed us is true about his life, then I get to live differently. So the mm-hmm. scope or or the or the depth or or, or the breadth of the of the of the risk that we're taking, well, not even the risk, the um the commitment that we're making is something we don't always take seriously. Because we kind of sometimes just think of, you know, it's better to have life with God than life without God. And that's mm-hmm. kind of that's how we think of what it means to be a Christian. So Rebecca, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna answer Rebecca's last question. And um, whatever it is, and then I'll leave you alone so you all can go back to running your podcast without me. So here's my last question. Um, what do you make of Judas? Oh, Judas. That's a long one. So in case it never gets published, <laughs> I never get to the juices hey, flowing this, here, brother. This might be the only place where you see this take on Judas. So I was thinking the other day, once again, it's in the Gospel of John, is, you know, at the, in the scene in, the, well, the, the foot washing scene where they, Jesus tells um, the disciples that he's going to be betrayed. Mm. And he says, um, you know, it's gonna, I was going to be Judas. And he says, what what you must do, do quickly. And it says, Judas goes out. And in, the, in John, it says that the disciples thought that Judas was either going to get supplies or he was going to give alms to the poor. Mm. And I said, that's amazing, right? That when 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 Jesus, when Judas left, the disciples assumed that Judas was going to give alms to the poor, which meant that what, what did Jesus do with the money? He normally either bought what they needed to, to live or he just gave it away. So, you know, there's one place where you see religion being corrupt. It's at the place of money, hmm. how, how, how money is used. Religious people use religion to, to dupe people for their money. And so Judas then had this unique, this unique place where he not only saw Jesus's public ministry, he saw what Jesus did with the money. Mm. So he knew it was genuine. He knew it was genuine, right? So he he wasn't like, oh, I see public Jesus talking about loving your neighbor, giving to the poor. But when on the side, Jesus is stealing the money. No, Jesus is giving the money away. But all I can't, Jesus dies broke. So Judas knew that Jesus had both an interior and exterior life that was ethical, but he hated him anyway, hmm. right? He said, he who, who had, had been with me lifted his heel against me. That's the statement of disdain. Hmm. And then I thought about it, and maybe this relates to what we were saying. We don't always hate things that we sometimes think that, well, we only hate corrupt religious leaders. Like we hate corrupt, and that's kind of true. We hate corrupt religious leaders, but we also hate good religious leaders. Hmm. We don't just hate things that are ugly. We hate things that are beautiful precisely because they're beautiful. We just don't like pretty stuff. And there's something in the human person when they see the good, the true, and the beautiful that we recoil from it, especially if that beauty is is attractive to us. You know, I'm I'm a sports fan, and there is no hate like you cheer for a team all year long. And you get to the championship game and then they lose. Like the same feeling of joy turns into rage. And if Judas really was someone who had initially hoped in Jesus, and then he saw what he thought was going to be Jesus' defeat, then we can understand why he did it. Mm-hmm. Because Judas then isn't just this arch betrayer, which is how he's remembered to history. He's all of us who have seen something beautiful and tried to destroy it. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, then I have sympathy for him. So the tragedy of Judas's life 
It's not simply that he betrayed Jesus. I think that Jesus actually would have forgiven Judas had he been alive, right? Imagine the story of the Gospels. If after the resurrection, Jesus doesn't just go to Peter, he goes to Judas. But Judas's great tragedy is that Judas thought his story was over when there was the possibility that more might be told. And so maybe the, mes- the message of Easter, one message of Easter, is that we have to stay alive long enough for God's mercy to find us. So anyways, that may never be in print. That may be, this may be the only version of it. Um, put an NYT on it and send it over the internet. So. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I love that. I, I think all your juices are flying, brother, and okay. you've got to go and put that down on paper. I really hope you will. I really hope you will. Dr. McCauley, thank if you. If not, it'll be a sermon somewhere. There we go. <laughs> uh, thank you for making time for us, truly. Thank you. Anytime. Um, it was good to hang out with you all. Rebecca, my son read your book. Is it 10 Things Every Teen? Uh, yeah, 10 Questions Every Teen Should yes, Ask an Answer I, About Christianity. Yes, I, I bought that for my son and, and he enjoyed it. And so oh, thank really you. Glad. Thank you for the work that you're doing and um, do not go weary in doing good. And anybody who's listening, um, buy, do you have a book, Kyle? No books. I got yeah, no don't books. Buy none, don't buy any of Kyle's books. If you, buy Rebecca's books. <laughs> yeah, buy Rebecca's books. That's good advice. Okay. And, and when you're done with that, buy Dr. McCauley's books. Uh, you can find Confronting Christianity on Instagram and Twitter. You can leave a review on iTunes and your review include a question you want us to explore in a future episode. We'll take it into consideration. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace. <laughs>